Good to have you here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, been out today. He'll be back with us uh, tomorrow on the program, but it is the final day, or at least so it has been decreed by Major League Baseball, BJ, that uh, either you get a league, get a deal done today, we're going to start canceling games, not making them up, not rescheduling them. You're not getting paid for them. We're not doing them. Get it done today. And, well, for the people covering the game, most people say, well, it's, it's not going to happen today. So, Major League Baseball, the players in a high-stakes, high-leverage game of chicken, and it appears like at the end, everybody's everybody's going to lose. Because I don't care what you say, whether you agree with the owners, whether you agree with the players, if there's no baseball, everybody loses. Right? The fans lose who support the game. The players lose because they're going to lose part of their paycheck, which to some is more of a hit than others. And the owners lose because the product they're trying to uphold takes a hit, and thus people are mad at them. So there are no winners in, in locking it out. And uh, and the fact that, again, it took two months to even sit down, the fact that uh, these guys procrastinated worse than a high school senior trying to do their homework to get this deal done is is embarrassing. I mean, you waited literally until there was a week left to try to talk for more than 10 minutes. You met once, 15 minutes, hey, we'll see you in 10 days. You met, like, this has all been handled poorly. And both sides are dug in on things they really, really want. At the end of the day, BJ, in today's era, in today's economy, I think uh, what most fans want is you to play. We understand the economics. We understand players want a larger piece of the pie. We understand that the owners want to keep as much as they want. That's business. We understand that part. But at the end of the day, I, I said this last week, NHL went through a lockout, lost a whole season. Games were played on the Golf Channel. I'm going to say that again. I don't think baseball's in as bad a shape as hockey, but when hockey had a lockout, missed a whole season, when they came back, you could watch hockey on the Golf Channel. And it's taken them a while to kind of get back, and they're back making money. The NBA owners gave in a little bit. I think you have... Uh, Adam Silver, a little bit more uh, understanding uh, in some cases. They've been a little bit differently. Gave the players more of a piece of the pie. Guess what? Everybody's making profits. Everybody's making money in the NBA, right? We've seen the average league. NFL, most popular sport on the planet. And I would say there's not a more hate. Well, Rob Manfred's getting close. But Roger Goodell is not beloved by the players, right? He's not generally beloved by the players in the National Football League as the guy who is the face of the National Football League. They've had negotiations. They've worked out some differences. They fought through their contention, and guess what? Everybody's making bank. The owners are making huge money in the National Football League. The players are making huge money in the National Football League. It can happen. You know, when you don't make a lot of money in professional sports, when you don't play. And I think that's where baseball finds itself, and uh, unfortunately, it doesn't appear like they're going to be able to sit back and say, if we can set, can concede on a couple of things, we're still going to make money. Kind of reminds me of the of the uh, the, the speech that Paul Giamatti remember the, the boxing movie Cinderella Man. He goes, "Listen, if this happens, you make more money, and if this happens, you make more money. Either way, your pockets are getting stuffed." I, and, and I kind of feel like this is what the commoner is saying to Major League Baseball, to the owners, and the players. Go listen. Work out a deal, and I know you want your fair share players, but owners, however this shakes down, you're going to make money. 
It is proven in professional sports you're going to make money. And I, I will sit here and argue about the, you know, baseball is dying stuff. And I, like, you don't realize how many people came and watched the Atlanta Braves last year? And I know they were World Series team, but prior to that, they were having a huge attendance uh, last year. Minor League Baseball has seen attendance go up. College Baseball has seen attendance go up. The game of baseball is not dying, but it does need fixing uh, in terms of minor league pay scale. They've addressed some of that. Provided housing for minor league. You've, you've provided for the bottom-up in some ways that you haven't done before. Now you got to work on the major league level. And, I, BJ, I know I'm kind of filibustering here and talking, but I get passionate about this because uh, people talk bad about baseball. And it's a good game. There's great stars. There are widely known folks in Major League Baseball right now, prime of their career, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Freddie Freeman, great stars, Tatis, young stars, Acuna Jr., uh, uh, Soto. But that means nothing if they're not playing. And I think at the end of the day, Major League Baseball, I, I'll, I will tend to side with the players a little bit. But owners, you're going to make money. Like, if you provide a path for a healthy game, you will make money, and probably more than you think you're going to make in this new CBA, if you can get it done. It, again, it doesn't look like they're going to. I've been very pessimistic through all this, as you know, in, in part because of what you referenced in that opening uh, stance there. It doesn't feel like this has been something that there's been a sense of urgency to, right? I None. Mean, you had the lockout in December, and it was like, oh, okay, well, we'll get to it. And then there were meetings, and there were meetings that last – last longer than uh, or last shorter than most average lunch days, you know, for people. And then, you know, the commissioner's just now getting involved and the concessions aren't being made. And I get it. I understand it's complex. I understand it's difficult. I don't want to sit here and speak from afar and say, hey, just just do it when I get that there are difficulties on both sides. But I've been very concerned about what could be through all this about are we talking about a – a, a regular season that's shortened? Are we talking about a regular season that is significantly shortened? Are we talking about damage to the perception of baseball? Uh, you know, normally spring training would be well underway, right? And, and we'd be talking about spring training games and would have storylines to talk about and be talking about roster battles and all that good stuff. And now we have way well, more. We're talking about battles. Well, but we, yeah, but we have way more questions than answers. I mean, when is baseball starting? How long is the season going to be? How long is spring training going to be? Will there be a spring training? Uh, could, uh, and I'll ask you this. I've always deferred to your kind of judgment with baseball. You have a good sense for what's happening. But when I hear when I hear games are going to be missed, I think my first thought is, okay, well, maybe we miss a week of games or two weeks of games, and that would not be good. But I don't think that would be irreparable. Is there a chance we could be talking about a month of games missed, a half a season missed? I mean, once you go down this road of missing games – I guess in your mind, having covered the sport closely your entire career, what is what is the worst case well, scenario? Well, I mean, obviously the worst case scenario is you you can't come to terms on anything and you miss the whole season. I don't think that's going to happen. There's too much money at stake, and I know people have said that from the beginning. But you have television partners that if there's no games, you have to you have to give them their money back. You you you're not making money off of that, um, and so. I think there are some some clauses in there where these teams and owners have impetus to get games on TV because they need the incoming money from rights deals. And again, if there, there's no games to show, they're not going to pay. So I, I I think there are some markers in there. I think most people think they'll miss a week and I, or two. And I, I think the bottom line is the owners know if they're really dug in, they can outweigh the players all day, right? I mean, I, I know that I saw something today where the players were. 
going to uh, have stipends sent out of like fifteen grand, um, starting once they start missing games uh, or something like that. I'm like, that's a help, but that's still if you're the owners, you can outweigh them. You have more money, you have more time. This is but one piece of your portfolio, and I think a lot of people look at it and say, okay, if I own the uh, the Cincinnati Reds, this would be my sole focus. No. When you own the Cincinnati Reds, that is a piece of your portfolio. You probably like baseball in some sense, but at the end of the day, you're like, well, I mean, balance sheet looks pretty good. I'm making money. You know, let me go worry about this other thing. So I I, I don't know. I, I wish that there were some more mature voices in the room earlier uh, in this scenario because it seems like neither side has come up with propo- – I mean, it's one of those things, and I, I've said it like akin to, to buying a house or like – it seems like all the proposals are like, you're going to make an offer you know is going to get rejected, but we're going to make the offer and put it out there and let everybody know that the other side rejected it. Well, that's not really a deal. I mean, and again, I know there's been some minor concessions uh, both ways, and, and I think both sides have played this poorly. I mean, the players gave some concessions and then came back later and said, just kidding, we're going up. We're going the other direction uh, on, this, on this number. So I think you've seen both sides kind of fumble it a little bit. Uh, I, I do think at the end of the day, both sides lose. I, I think people always, you, you see people duke it out on social media. It's like, why are you siding with the billionaire owners and not the players who are out here just trying to get their fair share? At the end of the day, most people don't care about either one of those things. They but want that. They, they want to, because, again, most people look at it and say, I get you want what's fair. I get you want what's but But, but, but now we're arguing over whether a first-year Major League Baseball player should make $675,000 or $750,000. That's what we're arguing about on some of these things. All right, that's more than 98% but you agree. But you agree. of the people Most in America people don't care about the minutiotia no, of, the, of, they want, of the disagreement. They, they want the sport. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's why so, I say both of them lose. So here's my question when I, when I ask this. I'm asking from the standpoint of the fan because I think all of us are fans of baseball, want to see baseball. Up until today, and today is the day where if, if it's not done by, you know, whatever o'clock, yeah. we're not going to have a full season per per the, the MLB uh, owners. For, yeah, from so, the, right from the so, commissioner's mouth. So yeah. assuming we don't get to that point and, that we're, and, and we're not close today on a Monday, what's going to make them close on a Tuesday? What's going to yeah. make – because that's my question from Pressure the time and lost money. That's I, it. I guess, but where, but when is that threshold crossed? Because you would imagine – you would have already crossed it at the idea of missing games. If I'm if I'm baseball fan A, and and maybe I am, I'm looking around going, I, I can deal with a week's missed games. I can deal with maybe ten games fewer. But my question is, if on a Monday we are very far apart and we don't like each other and the sides are not close, next Monday is it going to be different? <laughs> the mean- Monday after that is it going to be different? And I guess what I'm getting at is, is there a chance? At the end of all this, we're not only talking about some games missed, and I hate to bring it, but a substantial number of games missed. I still think at the end of the day, somebody is going to get in people's ears and say, all right, if you get to this point, you will have lost X number of millions of dollars. And maybe somebody goes to the players and goes, look, if it gets to this point, you as a union will have paid out X number of million dollars to the union members because they're not playing baseball our coffers, as it will, will only get you another month or whatever it's going to be. Like you, I, We can afford to pay all however many members of the union there are for another two months out of our coffers and kind of the uh, pension plan. After that, got to ride it out on nothing. And some players will be fine. Some players probably won't be. 
Uh, I think the real travesty, BJ, is as a fan, you're not just deprived of games, right? You're not you're not just deprived of okay, there's no product. You're looking at several players. You're we're, we're deprived of Ronald Acuna for X number of how long? In really up and coming prime years, we're deprived of Fernando Tatis. We're deprived of Mike Trout. We're deprived of Freddie Freeman, who is in that window. We talked about it on the show. Freddie Freeman is in that window where he could be a Hall of Famer. He has to get certain probably statistical milestones. All right, COVID already eliminated over half a year for all these cats. Are you willing to throw away another half a year of a career, basically a whole season's worth? For a number of guys, that could be the difference in being a Hall of Famer and just being another guy, being a really good dude who played Major League Baseball. I'm not saying that matters to everybody, but to a lot of people it does. But if you you're miss that everything. Close. You miss yeah. everything that comes with yeah. the games, everything that comes with the history, that comes with the context. I said this, I think, a couple of weeks ago when uh, some of the doubts started to become more prominent. Baseball, because some, some, some folks will say, well, listen, what's the difference in 162 and 152? Well, baseball is a sport where the reverence is the longevity of the regular season. Sure. You know, that's that's what defines baseball in some respects is how long the regular season is, how long of a grind it is, the stats that come with that, the history that comes with that. I, you know, maybe maybe every sport is this way, but but I think when you start taking games off and it affects kind of the the historical frame of sure. reference, the context that you that you made point to, that's I think I think baseball is is really going to miss out. I think they will, and again, I think for for a lot of fans, you look at it, and it is the, the of the things that need to be fixed when you're talking about oh, we don't want a salary uh, a cap, or we don't want. I mean, most people, I think only two teams went over the luxury tax uh, last year, so most people are adhering to some of that. They're not going to go over where they have to pay money. I think to me, the biggest problem in baseball is. That there isn't a cap. It's worked well in other sports where guys are making plenty of money at the top. It's not to me the whole thing about the cap now is it's not the guys at the top that aren't making enough. It's the guys in the middle and the bottom. And to me, the bigger problem is the teams that don't spend versus the teams that do. You just, case in point, you just had Derek Jeter up and leave the Miami Marlins today and said, "Hey, there's a little difference in direction." I get it. Everybody's going to put their PR spin out there, but I at least saw one report saying uh, Derek Jeter wanted. The Marlins to spend fifteen to twenty more million dollars. His goal was, hey, I want the Marlins to spend fifteen to twenty more million dollars on the payroll, and they weren't willing to do it because of the lockout. And he's like, well, how, how how are you going to compete with that? Like, and so I think that's the problem to me with Major League Baseball is get everybody to spend at least a certain amount, and everybody wins. You should get more competitive teams, teams that would be willing to sign and give better contracts to players, go out and get free agents for a better value and not it be an all or nothing where it's like we're either going to pay a couple of dudes 40 50 million and everybody else gets the minimum or we're just going to completely stink for 3 years and hope we win with guys on rookie deals. That's that's a that's a tough sell to me in major league baseball and I don't know why that's not getting more talk about uh in these meetings as opposed to everything on the top end and and some of those things but again I am but one guy BJ Bennett and it appears we are Headed down the path towards no baseball, at least for the short term, uh, as these ne- negotiations continue on. They met earlier this morning. I think as of right before the show, they had just gone back in to start meeting again after about two or three hours off. So they spend more time meeting with each other, it seems like, than they do. Uh, I, I, when I say each other, baseball with its owners and the players with their little caucus than they do with each other face-to-face, and that's certainly 
uh, not been productive to this point. We got plenty to get to here on the show. We'll chat with Buck Baloo when we return. Braves Radio Network. What does this mean for the Braves? What does this lockout do for the sport of baseball if they're not able to reach a deal? Also, Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown will join us. The Combine this week, several players have already said they're not working out. What do you get out of the Combine uh, if you get a substantial number of guys not working out? Also, Jake Roos, Dogs HQ on the On3 uh, network. Stacy Searles back in as Georgia offensive line coach. Uh, so we'll talk to him about that. Also, Damian Moss, former Braves pitcher will join us and we'll talk about uh, this thing from the players' side of things when he joins us coming up in the final hour. But Buck Blue will join us next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin. Baseball continues to negotiate, uh, if you will, here. The final day is set forth by the commissioner of Major League Baseball to try to get a deal done before we miss games in the regular season. A lot of pessimism that that's actually going to happen. And joining us here on the program uh, with the Braves Radio Network, Buck Ballou uh, joins us here on 3 and Out. Buck, welcome to the show. How are you? Man, we're doing well. Just trying to keep up up here. Got a lot of things going on. Ab- absolutely. As, uh, as a, a guy who has followed the Braves and coming off that magical run of a season ago, I mean, how, how devastating is this for just the, the, the baseball fan in our neck of the woods in general where you come off of uh, the ultimate high to potentially – no baseball for however long they, they see fit, I guess. Well, it just seems it's, it's really frustrating. You know, you got the owners that aren't really negotiating in good faith. This is as if uh, Rob Manfred and these owners, uh, you know, want to set the game back. They, they, they want to uh, miss part of the season, take these players to their knees. So, you know, as, as a Braves fan, it's really frustrating know a lot of your listeners are feeling it. Uh, this this is part of the glory of winning the World Series. Is coming back the next year and buying up all that gear and packing the house at Truist Park. And you know, uh, looks like we're going to get cheated a little bit. Apparently, so it's uh, it's frustrating, man. And then then we got that Freddie Freeman situation to worry about also. So it's sort of a double whammy right now. Buck, when you hear reports that the uh, that the MLBPA and the owners are not close, I mean, what do you think that could mean? I, I, we hear missing games and opening day not being on time, but could we miss a couple of weeks? Could we miss a month? I mean, what do you think is uh, the worst-case scenario here? Well, I'm just assuming smart people will eventually, you know, cut a deal here. Uh, there's got to be some give and take going on. And I'm just uh, I'm happy to see the you know you got the the players association trying to you know make some positive changes too taking care of the younger players seeing if you know perhaps uh, they can ease up on that length of the arbitration uh, how long that goes on the control over the players so it'd be nice to see those younger guys make a little bit uh, bigger slice of the pie just as a former minor leaguer talking here but. Uh, you know, you would think, like to think that at some point they'll wake up and start negotiating and, and get something done here because uh, nobody wants to, to lose money. It's a business, obviously, on both sides. And Look, I know there's got to be some give and take, but, you know, as a fan, you just want to see the 162. So I'm already frustrated here thinking, okay, we're not even going to be able to see a full season here. Absolutely. And, and Buck, obviously players trying to get – a larger piece of uh, the pie as baseball has been, you know, profitable. I know it came out last week about the Braves uh, coming out of the COVID year, how successful uh, that franchise was in, uh, in, in making money. Uh, 
how does baseball fix that where you have, you know, seven or eight teams that really don't mind spending money and then you have four or five at the bottom that try their best to not spend any money? Are you surprised that the players have been focused on not having a cap and not make, making sure that, you know, players can get paid more by kind of forcing the hand of, of, of teams to actually put up a respectable salary on their roster? Yeah, I mean, you again, reasonable minds. You would think they could sit down and do uh, do a deal that's, that's good for both the uh, the owners and the and the players' union. But um, I don't know, man. I mean, it uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, you know, it sounds like they were yelling at each other on Saturday. I'd just like to be in the room to see what's really going on here. I know you talk with fans uh, on a daily basis. What do you think the fan response is going to be is right now? And if we miss more time, I mean, is this something where baseball could really hurt itself in terms of fan perception? Well, I think here in Braves country, as soon as they, you know, say, okay, here's opening day, these fans are going to flood through here this year. Uh, Just being, you know, uh, being a part of the, the World Series title a year ago, you want to be a part of it. You know, you're anxious to get out and support the team. So I think Atlanta will be fortunate. They'll be one of the organizations where the fans are going to come rushing back in there uh, to be a part of it this summer. So, you know, we're hoping for the best, obviously. Uh, Right now it looks bad, but I just don't have a lot of faith in Rob Manfred. Uh, As soon as he jerked the all-star game out of Atlanta for political reasons, I'll tell you what, at that point in time, I just threw my hands up at him. Yeah, I think a lot of people have uh, not much love lost for Rob Manfred uh, as the uh, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Uh, Buck obviously said something hanging out there over uh, Braves country is is Freddie Freeman. I know you see reports of oh he's likely going to do something else when you know teams aren't supposed to be talking with uh, with players at this time. What what in your gut do you kind of feel this situation sits at where you didn't get a deal done before this lockout? Now you just kind of been sitting here for a couple of months and. Now you're if a deal is reached today, next week, whatever, you enter the fast-paced world of short-term free agency there leading up to the season. Now, how do you think it sits right now between the Braves and Freddie and Freddie and the Braves? Well, that's, that's a really good question. I wish I had a good answer for you there. Uh, you know, they're not supposed to be negotiating at this point in time until there's a deal done, but you wonder about those things. And, you know, uh, the thing that scares me is you got the Dodgers needing a first baseman uh, capable of, of writing that big check and giving him the six years. And, you know, we're, we're just looking right here at what is the market value. And for Freddie Freeman, it's going to be 27 to $30 million a year for four or five years. And, and look, that it just got me wishing that Ted Turner still owned the Braves. Uh, you know, I think if Mr. Turner was running the show, he'd go ahead and cut the check, too. But, you know, that's Freddie's home out in Los Angeles, and uh, sounds like they're willing to give him uh, market value. So uh, just I'm um, concerned about that, and his days are going to be over with here in Atlanta. You know, uh, the rumor that the Braves have already got Plan B ready to go, and ready to plug in another first baseman that's with the Oakland A's uh, right now. Olsen, big left-handed hitter. He's sort of Freddie Freeman light uh, with a skill set. But, gosh, the thing, he you know, he can hit 30 home runs and play a gold glove first base, and he still can't replace what Freddie's bringing to the table, the face of the organization. you got a guy that's the leader of the team and a guy that is a grinder. 
I mean, he's showing up and he's looking to play 160 games a year. Uh, he's he, the manager's going to have to uh, coach Snicker's going to have to fight to get him out of the lineup, and and that just spills over the entire team. You know, he's expecting those other guys to to show up and play on a day where they're not feeling physical, uh, physically ready to go out there and play. And that's one thing you just can't replace. Uh, that's part of the reason the Braves won the World Series. Uh, I just think that, you know, the Braves with Liberty Media, there's a budget, obviously, and, and the Braves have a reputation for being fiscally responsible. But they've already got Acuna and Albies on these team-friendly contracts. Uh, and it just doesn't seem right to let Freddie Freeman walk at this point in time. And, you know, the rub is not giving him that sixth year when he's 38 years old. But with the DH around, looking at Freddie, I think he's still going to be able to swing the bat. Maybe not $30 million worth. But, uh, you know, it's, it's disappointing has come down to this. There's no doubt about it. You know, at this point, I, I think, you know, the sources, the people I'm close to are saying you better get ready for the idea that, that Freddie's going to perhaps be in that Dodger uniform. Buck, if the Braves uh, don't re-sign Freddie Freeman, obviously you get a healthy Ronald Acuna back. You have some talented guys elsewhere, of course. I mean, can this team maintain the momentum? Will the will the Braves still be one of the favorites to win the World Series, or, or do you take a step back uh, without Freddie Freeman in your mind? Well, again, I don't think that some of the things he brings to the table you just can't replace. And look, Olsen looks like a guy that – he looks like a really legitimate plan B, and he's an Atlanta kid. 30 home runs last season, over 100 RBIs. He, he plays first base really well, and, and the Braves have the prospects to be able to get a deal done with the A's if, if that's the direction the Braves are going to go when this lockout ends and they get a new agreement. Uh, that looks like a really good plan B to me. Plan C, it doesn't look so good, so hopefully you know, that might be able to work out for them if, if it comes to that. I was going to say, Buck, if you you talk about what Freddie Freeman means to the organization, I mean, if you look throughout the minor leagues, there's not a big-time projected first baseman in the minor league system right now, is there? Well, no, they don't have anybody ready to step in organization, which is, you know, a little bit uh, crazy. So I don't even want to hear about moving Austin Riley over there to first base. I mean, coming off the season he had last year at third base, I mean, the last thing you want to do now is is tell him we need to go over there and, and play a little first base. Uh, that that doesn't seem like a legitimate option to me. Buck Ballou, our guest here on 3 and Out, uh, 680 The Fan and Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Buck, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, good to be with you guys. Keep up the good work down there. Will do. Thanks so much. Buck Ballou joining us here on 3 and Out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Two, three and out. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad to have you here on this Monday. 912-342-7184. Baseball edging closer to missing games, which less than a month ago Rob Manfred said would be disastrous. So the commissioner said it would be disastrous, and he is the late arriving front of a side that has not yet come to a deal. Can so I say this? He, he's not doing a good job. I mean... Oh, that's putting it nicely. Oh, 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 He's Seriously, been not doing a good job. What is he doing? I mean, I'm asking you. You're the baseball expert. I, well, I, if I can answer that question, maybe I, I would be uh, running major. Look, look I, I thought it was a bad look. When you have labor negotiations, like I, I understand that Rob Manford works for the owners, much like Roger Goodell works for the owners in, in the National Football League. 
and there are owners that were have been meeting with the players. But your job as the commissioner is to oversee the health of the game in which you are the commissioner of. Yes, you represent the owners, but you are in charge of the uh, the administrative face of the league, and you are in charge of the health of said league. Rob Manfred showed up on Friday. That they met every day last week, right? I'm not making this part up. But that's what I'm they asking. They met every day Kevin, last week, and that, the commissioner showed up happen? on Friday. How does that happen? When because sport, you suck at your sport, job, like Rob okay, Manfred well, does. I mean, well, that's the, well put. When when the when the sport is on the brink, I mean, and as you said, you even quoted a month ago the possibility of a disastrous set of circumstances, meaning no opening day, and we're a couple of hours away from that being a reality. And based on all the reports we're reading. That is the reality, right? Didn't you just say they just got done meeting, whatever that means? They were meeting for a, uh, a second time this afternoon. Maybe they'll get back together. Uh, you know, they kind of go talk for a little bit, then go back to their respective sides to, uh, to, to break it down. I have not seen anybody comment further on that. But, no, I mean, when the NFL and the players had their kind of uh, collective bargaining on the last go-round, I, I don't remember ever there being a time when Roger Goodell was just not, not there. Right, like Roger Goodell would come out, and you could say, "Oh, he's you know making his PR shill for the owners." Okay, fine, but the commissioner of the league was at the meetings. He was at the talks. Rob Manfred was not there for four days during your uh, 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 an agreement what, what was that, he that would determine the what future of your sport. What What was he doing? Playing golf? I don't know. I, I mean, like I said, there are certain times, and we joke. In, in in this business, the sports behavior, there's certain times you probably don't get some days off where you, where you have to be there. You know, in, in our line of business, everybody, everything revolves around football. So football season, usually not a great time to just take a whole bunch of time off. You're the commissioner. You have set a deadline of February 28th to get a deal done. And you, if you can't, that would be disastrous for the sport. Now, I know you are painting that as disastrous because they, the players, couldn't come meet your terms or what have you. But you're the commissioner of the sport, and you didn't show up until Friday. Friday. Like, what, like you. Th- that's one of those things where, like, Rob, sorry, you have to be there. That's requirement 101. If we are in a CBA and the two sides are meeting, you must be there. You can't be phoning it in on a Zoom call from wherever. You must be there in the room hearing what's going on, and trying to be a voice of potential reason, even though you represent the owners. Like, your job is to represent the game. The owners pay you to represent the game and oversee the game. At some point, you got to be there and say, fellas, I understand your position. Can you give them a little something? Like, and I don't mean like a couple of, like, give them a little something. Like, if we do not play, yes, you will be fine. Yes, you can go 10 games or whatever and still make money, but your product will take a hit. The end. Like, somebody has got to do that. And Kevin, again, the I, fact think, that Kevin do- I think most people are frustrated. I do. And, and granted, you know, I have a very small circle of just people I, I, I talk to and columns I read or whatever, but I, I don't think this is something that baseball just kind of snaps its fingers and everybody looks around and goes, oh, Yes, baseball, back, awesome. I think people are going to be frustrated. I think people are going to be jaded. I think people are going to be are going to be disappointed. And obviously, the longer this goes on, the more pronounced that becomes. I mean, if you get a deal done tomorrow, I think there will be a collective sigh of relief. But I think that the, the, the disappointment increases at an increasing rate, meaning 
tomorrow if it's not there. There's, there's more of a letdown. Then the next day, there's more of a letdown. Then the next day, there's more of a letdown. And I think this builds and builds and builds. Well, and the storylines are not good. I mean, read some of the reports from the kind of the sure. national pundits. And, you know, we're, th- this I mean, is, and now this you're is seeing, bad for Now baseball. you're seeing reports of folks. They're saying that Major League Baseball ownership is reportedly cool with missing up to a month of games. That's ridiculous. Like, that... That you don't. Do they not understand. They, no, they, and they probably don't care. And again, I've tried to say this to people a lot when they're like, "We the fans." No, you really don't. I, and again, BJ, we've said this before. Our game day experience is nice. Yeah, even at college football, NFL, but so much money has shifted over to the merch and uh, and I know that some fans, but the TV and streaming and all the media rights that go along that the fans do account for some revenue. But the bulk okay, of but if it comes no from games. There's no TV, radio, or streaming. That, that, that is correct. I understand that part of it as well. And so my point being, if they reached a deal, you still have TV. Even if the fans said we're not going, and every game looked like a Miami Marlins game and had like a thousand people at it, they would still make money. That's what that that's the, that's the whole point of you're 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 being stubborn here, and you're costing yourselves, uh, you know, reputation. You're costing yourself. Uh, you know, resentment amongst the people who pay for your product, who want to see your product. And to, to me, that's not good because ultimately it may not matter that they come to the ballpark, but it does matter that they watch it. It does matter that they consume it. It does matter that they're tweeting about it. It does matter that there's engagement about this, it. Like, that's the stuff that matters. Yeah, and now you, you're out here letting it leak out that we're willing to miss a month of games? Yeah, you Heck are with the, that. You, I mean, you, you're the biggest baseball fan yes. I know. Okay? I, I, I really like baseball. You... You are baseball, Kevin Thomas. <laughs> well, I don't know about so, that, but yeah. So when I've... you hear a comment that says, yeah, we're okay. I mean, as a fan, let, let, let's take away the media aspect where you're, you know, professional and analytical and all that. As a fan, what is your gut reaction to we're cool missing a month? I mean, if I hear that the owners are willing to miss a month of games, they're willing to at least go that far. I mean, and, and why I say willing to, like, they're probably like, yeah, we're, we're good. Let's just do it. Like. If we don't get a, a deal done until we've already missed a month of games, fine. You know, it's like, I, and I, I, unfortunately, again, that's not good for the game in which you are involved. You want to talk about uh, more? You got some people that cover Major League Baseball out here say, hey, players have been active. You have Bryce Harper, one of the faces of your game, right? I mean, BJ, you and I have had many of arguments about whether or not Bryce Harper is as good as people think he is on the baseball diamond. But we don't argue is that people know who he is, and he is one of the faces of the league. Putting out an Instagram, at tweeting the Yo Murray Giants saying, what's up? I got some time to kill, and he's wearing wow. a Yo Murray. Yeah, yes. he's wearing, So, I mean, is that what we're doing? Again, because without a, a deal, hypothetically, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, they, they can go play in other leagues and get paid until a deal's done. I know that's not the case for everybody, but I think that's where we're at, where neither side is willing to give at all. And if you have a negotiation where nobody's willing to give anything, that's not a negotiation. That that, that, that that's that's a hostage. That's situ- true. That's I, a hostage situation. Yeah, that, that's just people looking at each so, other. I mean, I mean, I, so and, and so I I think when I, I, I again blame both sides in this because you waited too much to really get serious and you kind of procrastinated till the last week and said, "Oh man, I've had this big project due. And we're going to stay up all night and try to get it done." And then you're kind of surprised when you get a D on it. Look, I I, I look at it and say, look. The owners, have they been negotiating in bad faith? Probably. Have the players been serious about coming the other way on anything? Nope. So uh, it seems like both sides are dug in here, and I, 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 I tend to agree with you. Outside of the money that could potentially be lost, 
What is different next Monday than right now? Because I, I've said this from the beginning, BJ. Once you go down this path of we're willing to miss games, as an ownership group, why are you not willing to miss 20 games? Why are you not willing That's to miss four? Why are you not? Is, we know why the yeah. players aren't, but as the owner of the team who has billions of dollars, if I'm willing to miss 10, why am I not willing to miss yes, 20? I can't Why am I that. not willing yeah, to miss know. 40? I don't know. Like, I can sit here and miss games all day. And that's and, what know, worries me, yeah. And so I, I think that is one of those things that would be concerning to me if that neither side has been willing to budge on anything. And you have an ownership group that, again, they're all very, very wealthy individuals. If they're willing to miss a month, why wouldn't they be willing to miss two months? They're not paying anybody, right? <laughs> they're all independently wealthy. Again, they may be losing some money, but they know as soon as the game comes back, they'll probably get some of it back and and then some. So, I, I, again, this is not a good afternoon for me as a baseball fan, and it shouldn't be for people who like the game that is seemingly uh, this thing is headed towards a cliff and the two primary parties involved don't seem to be too concerned about it. That, that, I mean, they may feign like they are, but at the end of the day, neither side has put forth a proposal that's come out in public that shows they've been willing to move very much in anybody's direction. And that should be very disconcerting. We've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben as we take a deep breath from the baseball talks. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on uh, locally. High school basketball down to the Elite Eight uh, BJ, you've got Calvary Day in the uh, Class A private boys' side still in it. The Brunswick High Lady Pirates at the 6A level still in it at the Elite Eight level. And at the uh, 3A level on the girls' side, Pierce County still in it. But kind of the story of the the tournament so far is Region 3 AAA with Windsor Forest, Groves, Beach, and Johnson. All four of them have made the Elite Eight. And if they all win, they would all be in the Final Four. So you'd have all, the, all four teams... Wow. From the same region in the Final Four if they win upcoming. But as it stands, you have one region representing 50% of the Elite Eight right now. But, but just in to reiterate, yeah. the way it, it, it could play out with, with four wins. You yeah, have they are Final all playing four different opponents. Of, of Region 3, 3A all in the Final Four. Wow, just just absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah Cam, it's a region tournament. That's absolutely incredible. But congratulations to uh, all the student athletes, boys teams, girls teams, competing for state championships. Uh, you feel pretty good that you're going to have some teams Advance obviously mathematically some will, but boy, you think about uh, high school basketball in the nine one two coastal Georgia Southeast Georgia. You've had some great team uh, over the years, boys and girls, and uh, this year appears to be no different. But I mean, I, Kevin, in your mind, I mean, is 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 there a good chance we could have an all an all final four re- from reason? Three, I mean, three I, I, I mean, think wow. there's a possibility of. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a couple of those teams are going to be favored as uh, Windsor Forest has been one of the best teams in the state uh, all year. Groves has been really good. I think Beach and Johnson. Uh, Johnson's a tremendous basketball uh, tradition program. I mean, there's a possibility, I would say, three of the four could certainly move on. I mean, you're getting down to this point where you're playing great teams, but why not? If all four of them make the final four, that would be a heck of a story Incredible to say you played you play yeah. all season, you played the region tournament, and now you played the postseason just to get right back where you started and have to play each other. Region tournament to go, 2.0. To go, to go win, a, to go win a, a state championship. So certainly a story to watch this week as they play the Elite Eights, and the Final Fours there in the state basketball tournament. we got much more to get to coming up next hour. We will uh, take three right around the corner on this Monday. Also upcoming, we will chat with Shane Hallam. Draft Countdown, the Combine this week actually starts tomorrow. 
Uh, he'll join us next hour. Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, part of the On3 Network, will join us as Georgia's hired Stacey Searles as their offensive line coach. So all Welcome back. Hour two, Kevin and BJ here on this Monday. A lot coming up here on Three and Out. Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown, will join us. The Combine gets started this week in Indianapolis. He'll join us in about 20 minutes, and we'll get the very latest ahead of the Combine. Also, Jake Roos of Dogs HQ, uh, part of the On3 Network. He will join us as Stacey Searles coming back to Athens as the offensive line coach, formerly at Georgia, coming back this time from North Carolina, where he was offensive line coach there under Mac Brown. So uh, Jake Roos will join us this hour as well. But first, let's take three here on three and out. We've got Cam helping us out here on take three on this Monday. What you got, Cam? All right, take one. Entering the combine week, how many players realistically have a chance to be drafted number one overall? I don't know how many how many guys you've seen. I I, I think going back through my mock draft database in my mind, I've seen obviously Evan Neal. I've seen Thibodeau and Hutchinson. Uh, I've seen uh, Charles Cross and Ika Mekwanu. So I've seen five or six guys in various mock drafts uh, go number one overall. I don't think beyond that. I don't think Kyle Hamilton's going to go number one overall. I don't. I, I don't think just, just just given the you know positional value of a of a safety. Uh, I don't think you're going to see like a Kenyon Green or or one of the interior linemen. Um, I think definitely Neal's the favorite, and I think uh, he's the betting favorite right now to be. Uh, to be the number one overall pick, I think I think Ekwanu and Cross are both realistic options because they're big time offensive linemen, and I think Jacksonville at the end of the day wants to protect uh, Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I would maybe even lean those three guys over the edge rushers, uh, but just given that I've seen it so prominently, realistically, I guess uh, I guess I'll throw Hutchinson or Thibodeau in there. So if you want to say Neil. Ike McWanu, uh Kevin, you're shaking your head. No, Charles there's, there's, there's two guys. I mean, look, the Jag State number the one, they're not going defensive end. They're protecting the quarterback. Yeah. I hope it's yeah. Neil. I hope y'all are right. I'll say five. I really, I, I, to say one, I kind of uh, agree with Cam, unless he just shows up and he's like put on 50 pounds and he can't move and bend over and tie his shoes and he just looks like he hasn't done anything to, to have to do anything with football in, you know, like the last ever, like that's the guy. I like, he started. Every single game, every single day at Alabama, the end from the time he showed up on a roster that you was trust full the Jaguars to make the right pick. No, I don't. But I mean, if you talk about who realistically could go number one, there's two guys. I think it's it's him. And if you don't like him, uh, Evan Deal, for some reason, uh, you go with the Guampanga. So I, I say there's two guys. I think it's one. I think it's Evan Deal. If the Jags trade back, then. I think the other guy that I would mention is Aiden Hutchinson based off the the hype, maybe uh, Thibodeau, what he does at the Combine, because we know he's extremely fast and gifted. But if I had to say just if Jags are staying put at one, I would just go Evan Neal. So that's what I would do. I'm going to say keep an eye on all the offensive line. Ike Mekwanu out of okay. NC State, Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, the, uh, the tackles. All right. All right, and take two. At what position does the 40-yard dash time matter the most? Okay, this is interesting because I think we all agree that it probably doesn't matter to the extent that we think it matters. Yeah. You know, if you can if you can run a 4-4 four, four in your underwear in a straight line, that's incredible. But do you do that quite often in football? No. You're wearing pads first and foremost, and you're moving. And that's why I kind of think this may be a hot take, but I kind of think the 40-yard dash time is a little overrated at corner. Because if you're a corner and you're running in a straight line forward 40 yards, something really bad happens. That means you got beat over the top on a go route. Corners backpedal. That's where, you know, the majority of what a cornerback does in terms of 
read and react is right there at the line of scrimmage. You're backpedaling, you're shifting, you know, you're, you're, you're changing directions, but it's not I'm sprinting forward in a straight line. If you're running for 40 yards in a straight line, again, something bad happened. You're chasing somebody. Um, I think running backs, again, there's so much of a change of direction. There's so much shifting. Edge rushers, linebackers, it's more kind of short space speed. Uh, I, I think with wide receivers is probably where it matters the most because if you were to ask at what position do you regularly run in a straight line for 40 yards, I think wide receiver. Now, are wide receivers you know, shifting? Are they running routes? Yes, they're not always doing that. But I think of all the positions – that's the position where it happens most frequently. And it's no guarantee. I mean, we've seen guys that have run four threes who have not had great careers in the league. We've seen guys who have run four six, four sevens at wide receiver who, you know what? When the ball snap, they play faster. They they have other skills beyond just straight line speed that help them manifest production uh, potential into production. But I think if it matters, uh, it probably matters in terms of positional value more at wide receiver than some other positions. I, I don't even think it matters there. I think uh, you look at, to me, 40 times, I don't think it matters for any position. Darius Hayward Bays, the guy, when he run like the, the fastest. Like your third four- reference of him like in the last two weeks. I'm sorry, he brings up my point. I mean, he makes my point for me. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just look up. Cooper Cup, most dangerous guy in the Super Bowl, Ben said, 4-6, uh, uh, 40 at the 2017 Combine. So, uh, to me, 40s, I, I, I think 40s are good for the psychological factor because you can line up and go, man, this dude runs a 4-2. As Ben said, doesn't mean anything if you can't play football, if you can't catch and do all that. I think 40s overrated for a lot of folks. Offensive linemen, why are you running 40s? Defensive linemen, why are you running 40s? As Ben said, the only time you're running 40 yards is if a big play just happened and you got to hurry up and get down there. So uh, outside of that, Edge rusher, maybe, but again, you're talking about that's more burst and acceleration. Get me 10 yards to that quarterback. Linebacker, kind of the same thing. Can you move in space? Do you play a lot of zone? Can you pick up a guy and run with him for 10 or 15 yards uh, while he gets into his route? I, I, I think the 40, to me, is one of the most overrated things. So I say it's important to nobody uh, because we've seen guys who maybe aren't the fastest, but they can cover. There's no running in a straight line in football very often, even on kick returns. You're going to have to make a cut. Can you change directions? Can you change directions fast enough and get back up to speed? I don't. I, I think the 40 is good for uh, fans and intimidation factor because in your mind, you're like, oh, man, this guy is fast. Yeah, it's hard. And that's hard. it. I, I, but I don't, I don't think it matters at all. Yeah, it's hard to rate the level of importance when it comes to 40 times because, I mean, a guy can run a 4-6 at the combine, but game speed is totally different. But if I had to choose a position, I was going to say wide receiver. Don't want to pick that. I'm going to say safety. And the reason why is you have to be sideline to sideline with your safety. If you're in cover three, you're playing a single high safety. That guy's sideline to sideline. Yeah. Cover two, you still got to get from the middle of the field to the other sideline, whether it's the right or left hash. So I would go safety. I'm not a huge fan of the 40 either. I think it's kind of overrated. But if I had to choose one, it would be safety. Um, take three. Evan Neal, Derek Stingley, Matt Corral, are among those who won't work out in Indianapolis, which, uh, will it matter? I, I'm going I'm, I'm to say it doesn't. And uh, BJ, we've had this discussion uh, for a couple years around the combine. Like, is it losing relevancy as far as going to show up and do the drills? Because it used to be, obviously, 
a while ago, like you couldn't just look up tape every day. It wasn't cost effective to go around to 100 schools and look at the top players. So we're going to bring you into Indianapolis. Hey, we'll get you here. We'll look at everybody. All the teams are in one spot. We'll do interviews. We'll work you out. We'll measure you. We'll weigh you. We'll let you, you know, pump some iron, do all that kind of stuff. Now, what are the lead stories that come out of every combine? Who ran the fastest 40, which we just said we all think is pretty nonsensical. It doesn't really matter. Who bench pressed the most? Maybe that matters. And who looked the fattest? Right? Is that not what we get? It's no, like, that, that's hey, true. Th- like, that's what we talk about. Hey, so-and-so showed up, looked a little pudgy, looked mm-hmm. a little round. Like, that's what we talk about. Oh, and whose, you know, Wonderlick score got leaked. Outside of that, just the pro days and, and, and all that. I, I, I think there's so many ways to see guys now that having them all come to the combine and do certain things uh, is, is just kind of a waste of time. You know, the 10-yard shuttle, do I like it? Sure, it measures kind of a quick change, explosive, especially with offensive linemen. Can you change directions and come back and adjust to a guy coming off the edge? Or if you're a defensive lineman, can you go this way and cut back and make a move? Okay, that 10-yard explosive does measure something, but it's not the end-all, be-all if you don't do it. Uh, so I, 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 I think the combine, as far as a workout regimen, really didn't have a whole lot of relevance anymore because everything we talk about is nonsense. Right? The vertical jump. Of course, we all know everybody, it, it translates 100%. When we run that fade to Calvin Johnson in the back corner, remember when he stood flat-footed and jumped 100 inches with no pads on and all that kind of stuff? No, all that matters is he's 6'4", the DB's well, 5'10", and we point, threw it over his head. I was reading some like, stories the, today that said one of the leading storylines entering the draft is Kenny Pickett's hand size. Can it's, he throw the ball or can he not throw the ball? Thing, yeah. And I'm like, we've seen him throw. I know Christian told us a couple weeks ago that the, the the pro ball is a little bigger, but he's been throwing the pro ball. My point is like what, when you look at the lead storylines that come out of the combine anymore, it's usually something like who ran the fastest forty, only because that's kind of the the one that catches people's interest. Who was fat? Who was weak? It's never good stuff. It's always like who couldn't bench as much as we thought they could. Who looked a little fat? And but for guys who, like this, who got like, like a two on the Wonderland? Yeah, That's yeah. what we talk guys, about. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is nonsense. I agree. The guys that, that that you asked about in the question, Evan Neal. What more do you need to see from Evan Neal? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. If if Evan Neal comes out and he runs, okay. If he comes out and he lifts, okay. To your point, you know why you know Evan Neal is a stud because he showed you every single snap at Alabama. Same for Derek Stingley. What more do you need to see from Derek Stingley? Dominated college football as a true freshman. Was maybe a the top defensive player in the country as a true freshman at LSU. You've seen everything you need to see. Matt Corral. Okay, so if Matt Corral runs a 4.89, uh, he's good to draft. But if he runs a 4.98, he's not good to draft. I think there are some guys, maybe guys who weren't overly productive in college or guys who didn't get to play a ton or guys who didn't have a ton of production opportunities that maybe you can kind of open eyes a little bit in terms of what they can do with the combine. You can see a little more of them. You can... You know, learn a little more about them as prospects. What more do you need to know about Evan Neal, Derek Stingley, and Matt Corral? And, I, you know, Ben has talked about it. We'll have him back tomorrow. Hey, I, I didn't work out at the combine. And I think for, for Ben Troop coming out of Florida, averaging 16 yards per catch, first-team All-American, what more do you need to see? You have seen 12 weeks, or whatever it is now, 15 weeks of game tape affirming that these were the best players in the country. And I think more importantly is like, you know, as Ben said, like Ben Watson was already a physical freak, but I think, you know, even Ben would say, if you look at the game tape, Ben Watson probably made a few extra plays that maybe our Ben did not. And Ben, our Ben, true, maybe did a few things that the other Ben Watson couldn't do. What does it come down to? 
talking face to face, and is this guy a better fit for our organization than some? To me, I think that's a lot of it at the combine is getting to sit down with all the teams. They can do a medical workup on you. Make sure you're not hiding anything. Are your knees fine? Your feet fine? Your hands fine? Like, yep, everything but checks I've seen out. Some questions: is, is is Evan Neal still going to be the number one? What what are you needing to see in Indianapolis? I mean, what what more is there for him I, to prove? I don't think he has anything to prove. Uh, Evan Neal shouldn't have to do a workout. The only workout he should be doing is walking on that stage, getting a cap from the Jaguars. That's the only <laughs> workout he should do. He shouldn't have to work out. I'm just saying. But um, Matt Corral, I don't think he has the workout. I mean, what do you need to know? He is fast. He's mobile. He can throw the ball. Stingley, I don't think he has anything to prove. I would want him to work out only because it's for him. He hasn't. I haven't seen him on the field in the past two years since his freshman year. I think he has something to show them, not as far as his skill set, just the fact that I'm here, I'm willing to show work because some people question his motor the past year or two because it's been kind of, you know, a disaster at LSU for the past two years. So I would probably say I would like to see Stingley out there to just show guys like, I'm still the best corner. I think he's the best defensive player in the draft. Best corner, best defensive player in the draft. I got a lot to prove, so. That's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. We'll come back. Shane Hallam, speaking of the draft uh, and the combine, he will join us next from draftcounttown.com, uh, and we'll talk about uh, some of those guys here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pig. Out on this Monday, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you're making us a part of your day to combine, beginning this week, tomorrow. As a matter of fact, they're in... Indianapolis joining us here from Draft Countdown. Shane Hallam joins us here on Three and Out. Shane, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. What What really? We were just debating this uh, last segment. What really could change at the combine this week, as far as the the top handful of players are concerned? I, I think there's a little bit that can change. The combine is kind of an opportunity for teams to see these players back to back to back going through the same drills. And not just the 40 time and the three cone, but they go through positional drills, too. So you really get to see kind of apples to apples, same weather in the dome. You know, you get to see everything back to back. I think we could see some things change at the top. We found out today Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama, will not work out. But uh, the guy he's kind of competing with, Ike McWanu from NC State, will. So I think that could even put Ikwanu in a position where the Jaguars are number one or maybe looking, okay, you know, Aquanu came out, he competed, he wanted to do everything. He's exactly the type of offensive tackle Doug Peterson likes. Uh, so I actually think this could change who is most likely to go number one overall even. What, what, what storylines from the Combine do you pay the most attention to? You know, we, as Kevin said, we're kind of debating the value of, of some of the drills and uh, guys working out, guys not working out. But what do you think matters the most at the Combine? I think it's kind of a holistic look at a player, right? And I know that's probably not the, the best thing to say or, or uh, that it's everything. But I think when you take not just the 40 time, that's what everyone likes to look at, but, you know, what, what's, what's agility look like in the three-cone, in the shuttle, you know, what is the explosion look like in the vertical, and how does that compare to their size? I think that's a good way to kind of take it. It's not necessarily who's, who's the fastest, who's the most athletic, but who's the most athletic but also, you know, is pretty big for their position. Uh, that can also play into it. So, you know, we look at, like, a player like Traylon Burks out of Arkansas, the receiver. Uh, he's a player who is going to come in in probably the 220s, a 6-2, and he's going to run, you know, a 4-4 or something. And probably the other drills are going to be really good. So even if there is a receiver or two that runs faster than him, 
here's a guy 220 pounds that can run the way that he does that's agile as, uh, like he is. Now, those are the type of things I think that you look for, who kind of has that full package that we can build. And then I, I really like the, the drills. I think uh, when you look at, like, running backs catching the football, that's something a lot of them are not asked to do in college. Uh, so sometimes you can get kind of a cue in on a player who is good at catching. Uh, we saw A.J. Dillon a couple years ago, plays for the Packers now from Boston College, didn't catch the ball in college, looked really natural at the combine. Now he's a really good pass catcher. So I think you can pick up on some of those things too. Shane Hallam joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Shane, you go back to, uh, to Jacksonville there at, at number one. Is it feeling like as long as they don't trade out, it's going to be one of those offensive tackles uh, that, that, that they do take number one? Or is it still up in the air as to what Jacksonville could do? I think it's still a little bit up in the air. Maybe I'm just slow to change, but I do think the two edge rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon and Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, are a step better than the two offensive tackles. But when you have Trevor Lawrence sitting there, he got beat up this past year, wasn't a great season, I can understand the approach of let's get that franchise left tackle, and I think that will be the focus. They already have a really good pass rusher in Josh Allen, who we saw last year uh, against the Bills play really well. Uh, so I, I think it is probably between those two, Evan Neal from Alabama and Ike McWane from NC State. I think when we get to April, there might be some buzz about the edge guys. I, I think we see one of the offensive tackles go off the board. In terms of who could boost their stock, I know you mentioned Ike McWane. Uh, uh, who are some of the guys he included who have a chance to maybe go from being, I don't know, top 20, top 15, top 10 type picks to maybe moving up a couple of spots even? Uh, so I think there's a bunch uh, that have that shot. I think re- receiver-wise, Drake London out of Southern Cal, uh, outside of Burks, is the other player who had an ankle injury in the college season, was probably playing his way into the top 15 and had that injury. So if he, I've heard he's probably going to work out, may not do everything, uh, but if he comes out and looks healthy, has some good times, he's, he's almost 6'5", I think he's a player that can prop himself up into that position. Um, a, a guy to kind of look for maybe to make his way into the first round and start getting that buzz is Bo Amafe, the edge rusher from Minnesota. Had a really good senior bowl week, had a really good senior bowl game. Uh, 6'4", 255 pounds. And I'm hearing he could even run uh, as low as 4'4'5", which would be a, an incredible 40 time for a player of his size. He's a super athletic, really long. I think he could you know, work his way up into that, that high mix. And then I think at corner, uh, one player starting to already get that buzz is Ahmed Sofia Gardner from Cincinnati, who has never allowed a touchdown in his college career. I'm really interested to see how his athletic ability is. because I think on film he wasn't really asked to do a lot of athletic things, so this could be a chance for him to show out, claim his spot as the number one corner, and possibly be a top ten pick, maybe even a top five pick. Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Shane, the Atlanta Falcons here in our state there at, at number eight. So many needs, so many holes uh, on this roster. What are they looking to do there with another top ten pick here in back-to-back years there at number eight? I think number eight's a good position for what they need. I feel like Atlanta is one of those teams that every year I'm like, man, they really just need someone to, to rush the passer, right? And, and this is a great year for that. Maybe a, a Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson fall, but I think that next tier of pass rushers are also really good. David Ajabo out of Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson's teammate on the other side, he's going to have a big combine, almost 270 pounds, really explosive first step. I think he would be a consideration there. 
And then Jermaine Johnson, the second out of Florida State, a Georgia transfer to the Seminoles, who had an absolute killer season, really good at the Senior Bowl, just doing everything correctly, checking all the boxes. So I think those two players, if they're looking at edge rusher, could be a real possibility. And, you know, I, th- I think there's some outside chances that maybe they surprise with that pick. You know, maybe we see them go for another uh, weapon, maybe a Traylon Burks out of Arkansas, um, especially if Calvin Ridley gets traded or moved, or maybe even go linebacker. I think Devin Lloyd out of Utah is a player that's going to start catching a lot of buzz, and uh, he's someone that can play in pass coverage, be a good tackle guy. You know, he could be a stud linebacker for the Falcons. So there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities, but there's going to be some good value there at eight. Entering the combine, is the order already set at quarterback in terms of one, two, three, four, five, or is there still uh, plenty to be determined there in terms of quarterbacks who could go in the first round, maybe even go in the top half of the first round? I think the top is pretty well set. I think we're going to see Malik Willis out of Liberty be the number one quarterback off the board after the bowl game that he had and the offseason that he had, the good senior bowl week. Um, I'm interested to see if he runs. I don't think he's going to work out. He's just super athletic, doesn't really need to. And I think Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh is a player that NFL teams like a lot. He'll probably be the number two quarterback off the board. After that, I think it's open. I don't think anyone else is guaranteed to go in the first round. Uh, Matt Corral out of Mississippi, the quarterback, uh, he injured his ankle in the bowl game. Won't be working out, won't be throwing. Um, it, maybe there's a chance he still does some drills, but he's definitely not going to throw. So I think it hurts him. He's going to be a pretty a wild card. Maybe he could go late first, maybe he could fall to the second. And I think the other guys are, you know, are fighting for just a spot in the first round. Sam Howe out of North Carolina, Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. So this, this combine could actually help separate some of that bottom half. Who, who do you want to take? Maybe Detroit at pick 32 taking a player to get that fifth-year option, this might help them out. Who's the guy you think teams are going to fall in love with at the Combine? It seems like every year there's a guy that comes in, has a heck of a workout, interviews, uh, just kills it, and then everybody all of a sudden is in love with this guy that was kind of off everybody's radar. Who's the guy that you think uh, is going to be kind of the Combine darling, uh, if you will, that maybe even people start floating stuff out there just to throw people off, but uh, who's that guy here in 2022? The, the name that sprung to mind is Tariq Woolen, corner out of UTSA, 6'3", 205 pounds. He could be a 4'4 runner. He's just this big, long press corner who is really athletic and really fast, pretty raw player. But that's the kind of guy that becomes a combine darling, right? He has these big workouts. He's big. He's strong. It doesn't matter that he played at UTSA. It doesn't matter who he played against in his college career. Then he starts getting that first-round buzz. Teams start falling in love, and they want to kind of jockey for position. So I think after this week, Wolin is going to be a name that's going to be uh, on the national radar. I know the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be well-represented uh, in, in Indianapolis. How many, how many Georgia players do you think could potentially go in the first round by the time the draft gets here? Oh, man, I mean, it, it's, it's such a good class. This, just these the defenders are so good. I mean, I think there's a shot that all three of those uh, kind of lineman types could go. I think Trevon Walker is going to go really high. He might even be in play for a team like Atlanta at eight. Um, and I think Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt both have a shot uh, to go in the first round, maybe the back end of the first round. N'Kobe Dean, if he has a good combine, I think the combine is going to be key for him. I think the first, first round is probably a lock for him. And then uh, I, I think Lewis Seen as well has a shot. This is going to be a good chance for him going up against some 
athletic safeties. He's my number two safety in the class. So I think he's another player that's probably a first-round pick. So I would say, you know, you're looking at three, four, five, six that have a chance, and that's really, really high for any school. But uh, Georgia's defense is just so good that you have to imagine a number of those guys teams are going to want to have on their side. Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown, our guest here on 3 and Out. Shane, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown, joining us here on the program. Speaking of those Georgia Bulldogs, Jake Roos, will join us when we come back as there's a familiar face back in town along the offensive line coaching those guys up. We'll talk about it with Jake Roos next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you here 3 and Out on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben will be back with us tomorrow on the program. But uh, breaking news out of Athens, a familiar face back in to coach along the offensive line. Stacey Searles back in, hired by Kirby Smart, and here to talk about it from Dogs HQ, part of the On3 dot uh, com network jake roos joins us here on three and out jake welcome how are you hey i'm good thank you guys for having me so stacy cyril's back new head coach this time but uh how is that going to be received there in athens obviously you lost a uh, wonderful offensive line coach to arkansas then matt luke steps away how's uh stacy cyril's uh welcome back in athens it's been a pretty mixed bag to be honest with you so far uh you know i'm not gonna not gonna try to sugarcoat that um you know i don't think fans have been super impressed with that one um you know just i think just a lot of memories from that old the old rick regime um you know uh those were good times overall for georgia fans i think they enjoyed those times but at the same time you know there were probably bigger aspirations and given what kirby smart's done those are the expectations now so you know, Searles, I think, is a guy who's got something to prove when it comes to the fans. Uh, you know, obviously a guy who has coached a lot of places, had a number of stops at big programs, and, uh, you know, has a lot of familiarity with athletes as well. But, uh, you know, I think that he's going to have some winning over to do when it comes to uh, the, this uh, fan base. And, you know, I, I get that. And I, I told somebody earlier, I, I think that it comes from a place where you said, uh, you know, you, you get a guy like Matt Luke. Obviously, he's uh, uh, or, uh, an SEC uh, former former SEC head coach. Sam Pittman, uh, one of the great offensive line coaches in this country, now a head coach uh, at Arkansas. I mean, it, it was a tough act to follow for anybody who came in. So, uh, you know, I kind of feel for him in that regard. But simultaneously, uh, you know, Kirby Smart's done pretty well on the hire so far. Be interesting to see how this one pans out. So entering the spring, uh, what are the expectations for Coach Coach Sherrills in this this offensive line? I know you returned some key guys, Warren McClendon included. Uh, how good can this offensive line be? And uh, what are what is Kirby Smart hoping to see out of that unit here in the spring? Well, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for the offensive line in terms of the guys that they have in place. I mean, this recruiting uh, has been outstanding for Georgia over the years. Um, you know, State Searle's not walking into a bare cupboard uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, you know, I, I think the expectation is going to be to continue and pick up where they left off, you know, uh, be solid, uh, uh, get out there, do their jobs, and compete. It's uh, going to be interesting to see you know, how some of these battles play themselves out. Where does Warren Erickson slid into this anymore? Uh, you know, who takes over where Justin Schaefer was? Is Tate Ratledge ready to put himself back into the mix? Um, you know, uh, is Broderick Jones the, the clear-cut number one left tackle? Um, you know, a lot of questions to answer. But uh, like I said, they've got the players and the, and the guys in place to do this. Uh, it's really going to come down to coaching and making sure guys are in the right position. Again, it seems like uh, Cyril's walking into a spot that a lot of uh, the new coaches at Georgia is going to be. He's like, hey, here's the keys to a Lambo. Don't, don't crash this thing. We just won the, na- the national championship, right? Just, just don't, don't steer us in a bad direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, I think realistically, uh, you know, the most important part for him and, and really anybody on the staff moving forward is you've got to, uh, you know, continue the trend when it comes to the recruiting. I think that's what's so huge. Um, you know, you've got to take a step forward. I think if you look back on this last class, you know, I, I think people were a bit underwhelmed. I was with uh, this offensive line class that Georgia brought in in 2022. Uh, you know, I think for Searles, uh, you know, the onus is there to uh, take a step forward and make sure that he's able to rework those notions and, and uh, move from there. And, um, you know, if he's able to continue the uh, recruiting that Georgia's had at that offensive line position, should be a self-replicating monster. I know you've had some coaching changes uh, in the offseason entering entering spring. What are, what are the big storylines uh, as the Bulldogs look ahead to spring practice? Well, obviously, everybody's going to be looking at quarterback. I mean, I think that that's just the, the nature of the position. And, and certainly, uh, you know, uh, when you're a Georgia fan, that's going to be part of it. And Stetson Bennett and, you know, uh, all the competition around him, a couple five-star guys, a high four-star and Carson Beck. I mean, how does that all play itself out? That'll be fun to watch. Um, you know, I think that, you know, how the offensive line gels is huge. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, what are they able to do over there with uh, several guys in new positions? Um, you know, Will Muschamp now with that co-DC title, handling the safeties back there. you got Fran Brown handling the uh, cornerbacks. You know, how will he gel with that position group and how will he be able to uh, maybe elevate their game? And then, uh, you know, Shadera Uzo-Dariba, uh, comes in and uh, a, a young, untested guy replacing a guy who goes on to be a, a head coach of a major program at Oregon and Dan Lanning. Um, you know, a lot to prove for those guys. So, um, you know, definitely going to be an intriguing uh, spring, even coming off of the national championship. You, you certainly felt good about winning it, but, you know, can you continue that success? Jay, can I ask you a follow-up about uh, Stetson Bennett? I know a lot of people are talking about the, the quarterback spot. You're talking about a guy that, Obviously helped Georgia to a national title, finished in the top five in the country in, in passer rating, and I think was obviously the MVP there uh, offensively of the title game. I mean, is there is is there really going to be a competition in 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 Athens? I mean, how's that how's that going to work with uh, with Bennett returning? You know, I, I feel like Stetson's coming into this as QB one, no question about that. I mean, I, I think that uh, you know that national championship win certainly puts him in that position, but you know. Kirby Smart has been emphatic throughout his career at Georgia that, you know, every position's open for evaluation. Everybody, uh, you know, it's, it's never a situation where anything is set in stone. So, you know, I think that the expectation really for that comes from, you know, people who want to see can these five-star guys get in and overtake a guy like Stetson Bennett, you know, even with all of his experience, with all of the success he's had, you know, can some of these guys who have, uh, you know, this high level of, um, of, of uh, athleticism, uh, IQ, I mean, guys who came out and were some of the most coveted prospects in the nation, can they overtake uh, this job? And, um, you know, listen, Stetson's not giving up anything so far, uh, certainly not easily. So I, I don't know that it's the case that they will be able to, but I think that's where everybody's going to be looking for. I do think the competition to a degree uh, will be open, but that's the case with every position across the field. That's not unique to quarterbacks. I'm going to say, Jake, I mean, how much do you buy that when coaches say, oh, it's open competition? I mean, how much of that is coach speak and trying to send a message to guys versus it's actually actually wide open and they're just going to let the best guy step up there and, and take it? You know, I really think that, uh, that, that there is some truth to it. I, I think that there has to be because I think that if you're saying those things, especially out in the public and 
uh, you know, making such a, a big focus on that, um, that you really damage credibility if that's not the case behind closed doors. I think that, you know, guys have to feel that way. And the message that we've gotten from guys who've been there and, and have gone on from Georgia is that that is the case, you know, best man plays. And, uh, you know, that's a week-to-week thing. Uh, you know, I think that Obviously, you have some guys who have an edge who, uh, you know, can step in and, and, you know, kind of establish themselves and maybe put some distance between themselves and the next guy. But like I said, I think that you really risk damaging your credibility with your team uh, when you do something like uh, step back and, and say, you know, this guy's firmly locked in. All these other positions are up for grabs, though. Defensively, you mentioned uh, no Dan Lanning. Obviously, you lose a ton of guys to the National Football League, going to be well represented at the Combine. Do you expect things to uh, look much differently defensively, schematically, with uh, with Dan Lanning gone, or do you think we'll see more of the same from the dogs on that side of the ball? No, I don't see much of a difference. I think that you'll see the continuation of what they want to do. I mean, I think Kirby's got a the clear mindset of what that defense should look like, and I think that that's shared by his co-defensive coordinators, Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp. I think that those guys will be able to replicate that to a very high degree. Um, you know, what, like you said, I think the real uh, question will be about replacing all of the talent, um, you know, making guys gel, seeing how everybody fits together and all the pieces uh, I think that's what's got to be huge moving into this uh, into this spring and into this fall. Um, you know, is really just kind of creating that um, you know sense of familiarity and, and, and brotherhood and camaraderie uh, between that group where they can kind of play off of each other on the field. Um, you know, be vocal with each other and uh, create that open communication. Um, because, like I, like I said, you're replacing a ton of those pieces. Uh, that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays itself out. But in terms of changes defensively. Hey, uh, not not broken. Don't fix it. Jay Cruz, Dogs HQ, part of the On3.com network. Our guest here on 3 Now. Jake, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Jay Cruz joining us and uh, talking about, uh, obviously, some uh, new coaches coming in with Stacey Cyril saying, look, maybe some hearkening back to the Mark Richt era that some people have some consternation about. I know Mike Bobo's back in the fall. I actually saw some people like up there like, why is Kirby bringing back all the Mark Rick guys of Mike? It's like you mean when you were putting up record offense, uh, Mike Bobo, that guy. Uh, you know, I, it, it's amazing that people will be upset about a number of things. Is is Stacy Cyril's going to be Sam Pittman? Is he going to be Matt Luke? I don't know, but I mean, he's a good offensive line coach. He's been around football, and BJ, I kind of laugh when everybody's like, "We'll just replace." Maybe you you go around and people say this all the time. It's like. You, we have the best offensive line coach in America. We typically don't replace the best offensive line coach in America with the best offensive line. Like it just doesn't happen continuously over and over again. I'm talking more about you know Sam Pittman and all that. Why do you think people are getting frustrated a little bit? He said kind of met with warm, kind of eh to the the hiring of that, and he had again had been a successful guy there with Mark Rick. Yeah, good question. Uh, obviously, has familiarity with the program. I mean, you've mentioned this a number of times, and you're right. I know. You've, you've been able to elevate the status quo with Kirby Smart, and uh, you've made history. But it's not like, you know, Mark Rick, during that era, you were you were struggling. You were maybe a level below where you are now, but you were competing for SEC championships. You were competing for national championships. Offensively, you were very, very productive. I mean, you think about, you know, the Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray's the all-time leading passer in the history of the SEC. And you think about some of the production with the guys running the football, Todd Gurley, et cetera. So, I think you had a big-time production there. I think, you know, Sam Pittman, it's really tough to replace. And then, like you said, uh, or you heard Jake say, when you brought in Matt Luke, you got a position coach 
who had been a head coach in the SEC. I mean, that's a big-time asset to be able to have a head coach of a former SEC program be a position coach. So I think when you talk about Sam Pittman, that was a guy that was beloved. When you think about Matt Luke, you know, an incredible resume. Now, Coach Sherrills has been around, and I think a very impressive resume. You think about being at North Carolina. I mean, the offensive line for North Carolina helped the Tar Heels have great success offensively. You think about the two running backs that are in the National Football League, Carter and Williams. You think about Sam Howell, who might be a first-round pick uh, coming up in April. So Coach Sherrills has been around, knows how to recruit, was just with a, a program under Mac Brown that was very successful uh, on offense and uh, had really good offensive line play. I think North Carolina was amongst the uh, leaders in terms of fewest sacks allowed in the ACC. And then coming back to Georgia, knows the program, knows what it takes to be successful there, understands the expectations. I mean, he knows – and you're inheriting a really good group. Uh, Warren McClendon should be a preseason All-American. But just another storyline in the spring to keep an eye on for the Dogs, uh, new offensive line coaches. Those expectations aren't going anywhere when you're the, uh, the defending national champion. Certainly. We've got more to come here on this Monday. Damian Moss, former Braves pitcher, going to join us in the final hour. Also a uh, late ad. Uh, we're going to chat with Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network. He'll join us coming up in the final hours. We're getting to the waning hours, uh, what you have Seven hours and ten minutes. So what, it has to be in by midnight, I, I guess? I, I, I guess, or they're just going to – I mean, I guess at some point they're either going to look at each other and say, see you later or something. But that's the – if you want to go with the deadline, midnight would surpass the deadline. Now, if they keep talking into the night, who knows? But we'll chat with Kevin McAlpin coming up in the final hour. It is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. On 3 and Out, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett. Glad you are with us here on this Monday and Major League Baseball continues to meet and discuss with the players. We'll get the latest on that. Damian Moss will join us. We'll talk about it from a player's perspective. Also, Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network, will join us. I will say uh, Major League Baseball Players Association have set up a spring training site in Arizona for players to go and work out. and Basically to what, mimic? Get in work. I guess training? get in work. I mean, to me, if I'm a player and you think it, could drag, it makes sense because if you can get a lot of buy-in, on guys who can go and work out at these players set up, then technically you would need less ramp-up time to get back to the regular season, so potentially. theoretically it could, I guess, accelerate the return I w- I would, once maybe we get to that point? Or is that so. reading too much into it? Maybe reading too much into it, but why else would you set that up? Otherwise, you could just have the full four-week spring training or five-week spring training so and lead up to the bomb, game. So just whoever wants to go I think go, they're going to set one up. They've got someone set up in Arizona. They said they're looking to set one up in Florida. So my guess would be if you go to Grapefruit League teams, potentially National League in Florida, you go work out there. Arizona, you can go work out there and get work in and uh, just be, I guess, all for one and one for all out there. But again, if enough people do it, I would imagine that would be a bargaining chip uh, to throw out there and say, if we get this deal done, we may have missed spring training, but we've had – you know, 90% of the guys working out for three weeks. We don't need four weeks to get going. Say, look, we want to play. And we're going to we, get our yeah. 162 wins still. So who knows uh, where that leads. That was just thrown out there this afternoon. So I wanted to pass that along before we uh, hit the top of the hour. And, Kevin, before we go to break, uh, I want to encourage people. Uh, ben, who will be with us here tomorrow, wrote a uh, really powerful uh, piece sharing some perspective on uh, Black History Month, obviously uh, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, and uh, shared a – just, just some really powerful perspective. It's a story that's up on on southernpigskin.com, and uh, I think it's out on some social media channels, on our social media channels. So uh, thank 
want to thank Ben for that perspective. Uh, very powerful and uh, encourage people to check that out. I can check that out. Uh, again, I know there's a link on southernpigskin.com uh, on the Facebook page and Twitter page. You can uh, link to that and read that uh, from there as well. I encourage you to, uh, to check that out and uh, take a couple minutes to uh, to consume. That will come back. Damian Moss on the flip side, former Braves pitcher, will join us. Also, Kevin McAlpin in the final hour here as uh, we've reached the make a deal or we lose games day in Major League Baseball. We'll hit that all in the final hour. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, thanks for making us a part of your day. Kevin McAlpin going to join us. In about uh, 20 minutes here on uh, the show, we'll get uh, his thoughts on where we stand here in Major League Baseball. And joining us here on the show, someone who certainly has a player's perspective, former Major League Baseball pitcher, former Atlanta Brave, Damian Moss, joins us here on 3 and Out. Uh, Damian, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, guys. I can't hear you. Uh, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us here on the show. Uh, when you look at what the players are going through right now, kind of explain... Why what they're trying to get is is important, not just for the here and now, but for for guys along the uh, the major league levels and, and guys who have yet to make it. I mean, I want to start off by saying, you know, I was I was a part of the, you know, the collecting bargain agreement in two thousand and two when the players almost went on strike. Um, I remember going to the meetings in two thousand two. And I also remember in 1994-95 where I had, you know, I had the opportunity to cross over because they had replacement players. Um, but in 2002, like, a lot of people don't realize we're about to go on strike. You know, Glavin was in Atlanta, and I'm sitting on a plane in Pittsburgh with the whole team, and all these guys asking me what's going on. And we sat on the tarmac for five hours because we didn't want to fly to Montreal. And we had a game that night. I actually pitched that night. Um, you know, they got a last-minute deal done. I don't I don't see this one getting done. And, you know, the frustrating part is, based on what I've heard, is, you know, I've heard today, actually, is, you know, the owners are okay with, you know, fans, and everybody else missing the first month of the season. And that's, that's disappointing. What, what happens next? Uh, because, Damien, it sounds like the two sides are, are, are really far apart. Uh, assuming a deal isn't uh, uh, done in the next couple of hours, we're going to miss opening day. I mean, what walk us through this. What happens next? What has to happen to have baseball? I mean, based, based, like, like I said, everything I'm hearing is, you know, through my connections and stuff that I have. Um, but based on, based on what I'm hearing is, you know, like I said, the, the owners are okay with, you know, losing a month of the season. And I feel like that's unfair for the fans. And, you know, ultimately, yes, you know, you're talking about billionaires against millionaires, and I get that. But, you know, the bottom line is the fans. If you don't have fans, these guys don't make the money they make. You know, and when you have the owners sitting there saying, hey, we're okay with losing a month of the season, that's not fair to the fans. You know, the players are, you know, the players have been sitting there grinding it out, and they're grinding it out right now with the owners. 
to try and get a deal done to where, you know, the season starts on time. You know, it's unfortunate that, that the owners who are greedy, and they've always been greedy, are sitting there saying, yep, we're okay with, you know, losing the month of the season. It's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to anybody. Sure. Damien Moss joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and, and Damien, speak to, uh, you said you had a chance to be in those meetings. Speak to what these guys in the room are trying to get uh, for players. Some of the things we've heard about, want to get guys to arbitration sooner. Want to get the bottom level of Major League compensation brought up. How how important, when you were an active player, were you willing to go in there and fight for the guys that were, you know, year one, year two in the league, trying to get to uh, to, to arbitration? And how, how important is that, do you think, for this group of players to kind of make sure that, uh, you know, obviously guys are getting $40, 50000000 million contracts, but how important are the guys that are, you know, position 21, 22, 23 on the roster that they get their kind of fair market value as well? I was that guy. I mean, I'm the perfect example. Um, I had the privilege of being a Super 2, you know, and, you know, a lot of people don't understand what a Super 2 is. And, you know what, I had to work my butt off to get there. Um, You know, the frustrating part for me is whatever the Players Association does, the owners do, you know, a counteroffer. Like, and everything I've heard about, today's meetings is they're, they're close. I mean, they're closer. I wouldn't say they're close. They're closer. Um, do I think a deal is going to get done? I hope so. But, you know, based on everything I've heard, you know, one that, you know, when Rob Manford and, and the owners come out and say, hey, we're okay with losing a month of the season, like, that's that's not a good thing. And everything that we fought for in 2002, and then everything the predecessors before me fought for in 1994-95 is still the same thing. We just want fair value. The owners are making billions, and people don't understand that. And guess what? I, I mean, I, I I understand it, and it's unfortunate that, you know, the fans have to pay more money. It doesn't have anything to do with the players. It has everything to do with the owners, in my opinion, because they, you know, they upcharge the tickets. It's, it's not, it's not the players that are sitting there saying, "Hey, you need to charge this, you need to charge this, you need to charge this." It's the owners because they want to make more money. How difficult is this uh, for the players? You mentioned some people perceive it as billionaires versus millionaires. Not everybody, uh, obviously, on a major league roster is making a million dollars, but. How difficult is this for the players to try to fight for what you want, but also uh, do so while not getting paid and while seeing the game potentially uh, shorten itself in terms of opening day being missed and the season not being 162 games? I believe the players are going to stand strong. You know, I've been a, like I said, I you know I was an assistant player rep when I was with the Braves, and I've sat in on these meetings. The unfortunate part is when you've got people that are really, really rich, when, I, when, it, when it's contained, you know, to the owners and also the players, there's a situation to where, hey, we're going to stand and hold our ground because we know we're paying you a lot of money. But on the flip side of that, you also know that the players are make, you know, the owners are making a lot of money. I mean, my perfect example is 
you know, if you look at the Braves, the, the, you know, it's it, it's funny that it came out, you know, last month I think it was, to where, you know, Liberty Mutual is, is traded publicly, so they get, you know, the general public gets to see exactly what's made. And when you're making $564 million and the players' salaries, and, and, and I want people to understand that I'm not saying this in, like, a way towards the towards the fans, but when but when you've got, and um, you know the owner of an organization like Liberty Mutual make five hundred sixty four million, where they grossed all this money and they're still making plenty of money, and the players don't get paid to what the percentage is showing as far as the incline in inflation and all that stuff, as far as you know how it's presented to the players and to the owners. You know, there, there, there's always been a steady increase in the owners making more money, and there's always, you know, we, you know, the players association has always tried to navigate that same increase in player payroll. You know, but when everything is going on now, and we're trying to cut these costs for the players, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for the owners. Yeah. Damien Moss joining us here on on three and out, and uh, and, and Damien, uh, from a former player's perspective, obviously from the fans, we understand what uh, you're talking about with the players wanting their their fair share. What about some of the things as a former player that you see with the game, and maybe explain some of the behind the door thinking of you know the you got the competitive balance tax, which I know a lot of players will say is a tax on the the top. Um, why don't we see a floor, and how much does it hurt the game when you have? The Yankees and Dodgers spending over the, the the luxury tax, and then I think you have three teams who are consisting a twenty six man roster of less than Max Scherzer just got a contract for. How do you balance that out as a player to say we don't want a cap, but at the same time you literally have franchises that aren't trying to be competitive financially? And, and that's I mean that's a good point, man, because that, like that's one of the things the players are fighting for, you know, because because there's organizations that are smaller market organizations that get paid by a lot of other organizations, but they intentionally tank to get higher draft picks. And then they're not investing in these players. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I, I, you couldn't have made that any clearer. You know, you've got, you've got an organization and an owner that, that make billions of dollars and they invest in a, a player and you've got all these people paying into a pool that are paying to support this organization and then they don't pay it they don't put it into their players end of the day how much baseball do you think we miss uh damien do you think it's only a couple of weeks or maybe only a week or could this thing uh unfortunately be longer than that i hope the guys get it figured out tonight to be honest with you i mean you know i find it kind of ironic that you know Derek jeter Derek jeter stepped down today you know, I mean, you know, because the Marlins, based on what I've heard and based on what I've read, is, you know, they didn't want to continue in the direction that Derek was doing with the Marlins. And you're talking about a guy that played, that's the CEO of the Marlins, and he steps down today because the Marlins decided to go in a different direction. What is that saying to me? It's saying the owners are saying, nope, we're going to underpay these guys. 
And that's not good for baseball. It's not good for baseball, period. You know, you've got, you've got owners that make a lot of money. You've got players that make, you know, very, very good money compared to, you know, everybody. But when you've got a player, a former player, a Hall of Fame player that steps down from the Marlins, that raises a question for me. Certainly. And again, uh, we'll see, as you said, I, I think we're all hopeful or hoping that uh, we can get this thing figured out so we have baseball. But as you said, when the owners come out and say we're willing to miss a month, that doesn't sound like they're negotiating with any kind of sense of, uh, of urgency. Damian Moss, our guest here on 3 and Out. Damian, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. And so hopefully we get this thing done. Uh, we certainly hope so. We appreciate it. Damian Moss joining us here on uh, three and out, and we'll chat with Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network coming up. Uh, but but BJ, just respond to some of what he had to say. Obviously, I will. I don't think it needs to be prefaced, but I will say it just anyway. Obviously, Damien, as a former player, is going to have a player's perspective uh, on it. But I, I, I don't think if you see it from that that way that what he's saying is unreasonable. Where you have owners making millions and millions of dollars, and yet Max Scherzer gets a contract worth more money annually than the Marlins entire payroll, then the Orioles' entire payroll, then the, uh, I was going to say the Indians, but uh, the, the, what is their new name? Uh, the, the Guardians. The Guardians' uh, entire payroll. Um, and you have other teams paying in a pool to, quote, supplement owners, such as like the Orioles who say, oh, we're small, small market. We can, They're getting money from other teams to invest in their teams, and they're not doing it. And so I think that, to me, is a big crux issue that needs to be solved Moreover, so just how guys are getting paid, it is how do you make it so that every team must try to financially compete uh, within their within their roster? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean it's hard for people to understand. And I mean you made you've made a great point during this whole argument about uh, teams that basically do the bare minimum or even less than the bare minimum in terms of roster construction, and then make a whole lot of money while investing nothing back into the game in terms of competitive balance and. I think that's a hard thing for uh, fans to understand. Like, hey, why is my team not trying to maximize its? Well, I mean, we even saw it. I mean, we, it, because it's become a strategy. I mean, we've even seen it. With yeah, but it's not. The, fans, saying, it's, it's not. not but we've even players. seen it with with the Braves. Right? A couple years before all this started, the Braves did what? Hey, we're going to dial back payroll. We're going to bring it back, and then when we get the Acunas and the Albies and some of these guys hitting the major leagues, we'll start to invest again and make a run at it. And I think that's what you're seeing. The Braves are kind of macro now. They didn't go from where they were down to like 30 million, but they dialed it back. Maybe knew they weren't going to be as good. And I I don't know that that is a good thing for the game. Again, I know players don't want a cap, but I say, look, when you have floors and ceilings, the NFL, everybody tries to compete. Jacksonville has the number one pick in the draft. They were the worst team in the NFL. They won how many games? Three. Okay. Out of 16 or 17. They were at least out there allegedly trying to win, right? And they are set up now to where they have to spend a certain amount of money. They're going to get draft picks, and they are trying to get better. NBA, right? You don't. You have teams that try to lose games, but they don't financially. They still have some guys that they're paying uh, because they have to spend a certain amount on players to improve the product. And by and large, you don't have a lot of teams that you do have some, but you don't have a lot of teams where it's like they win ten out of eighty games. By and large, I think you even the bad teams are up there 15, 20 time ball games where they're still 
relatively competitive. It's not just the dregs where you had a team last year, BJ, lost and well, almost 120 games. Out of 162, that's not trying to compete. And I think that is what uh, Major League Baseball players are trying to fix so that some of these owners, you have to at least try financially to go out and pay money, get players who are good to improve your team and not just rely on 19, 20-year-old guys to figure it out at the Major League level. And if they get good, we'll make one go at it. And if it doesn't work, we'll trade them all and we'll start over. That's that's not a, a, a thing that's healthy for the sport. We'll come back. Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network, will join us when we return. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Now on this Monday, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you're with us here on 3 and out as Major League Baseball as the, uh, the gears turn here uh, on negotiations. Joining us here from the Braves Radio Network, Kevin McAlpin uh, joins us. Uh, Kevin, well, here we are. Deadline day that Rob Manfred said would be disastrous if a deal is not bet. And then reports coming out that the owners would be cool if uh, they missed a month of the season. So I don't know if you can have it both ways there. But uh, baseball fans obviously starting to get upset about potential missed games. Uh, where is the game at right now? And do you think anything is going to get resolved before midnight tonight? Well, let me put it this way. I, I helped coach my son's Little League team, and I had March 31st crossed out as an unavailable date, and I texted the head coach today and said, I can probably be there for that one. Unfortunately, it looks as though a deal's not going to get done today. Sides are still pretty far apart, and if the player's reaction is any way to judge, uh, if you follow Bryce Harper, a uh, really interesting Instagram post a little while ago of him wearing a Yumiori Giants uh, jersey saying, hey, uh, you guys awake over there? Uh, Justin Turner also taking the Twitter, voicing his displeasure with what's going on. It, it's not a good place right now uh, with that deadline looming by the end of the day, end of the evening, I guess, if you will. So uh, players are frustrated. Owners are not happy. Uh, there has not been a whole lot of you know budging on either side of the aisle. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a master negotiator. I'm just a guy with a microphone. But, you know, when you come to these things, you've, you're going to have to have some give and take. There's going to be have uh, concessions that are made. You're going to have to, uh, you know, agree to some things that you may not necessarily want to, but that's how you get a deal done. And unfortunately, neither side has really budged all that much. Both these, uh, you know, parties are, are dug in pretty deep. So, you know, again, unfortunately, it does not look like something's going to happen today. Hopefully these meetings will continue and they can find a way to get this done. Uh, because, you know, again, the last thing you want to do is start canceling games during the regular season. Uh, to me, in my opinion, that would be just disastrous for the game. So when we hear reports that they're not close, I mean, what does that mean in terms of uh, predicting the future? Does that mean that it's going to take three, four, five plus more days to get close? Does that mean there's one potential uh, point of contention that must be addressed? Does that mean that it's as bad as it reads, that we're going to have a couple of more weeks of this at least? How do you interpret them not being close? Yeah, it, it's hard to tell because, you know, John Heyman, as of last night, said, you know, there was some optimism that maybe a deal could you know, come together pretty quickly today. And, you know, again, I've been following this from afar going, well, you know, again, if, if both sides haven't really budged, I think that's sort of a pipe dream at this point. So, you know, again, it's a lot of economic, uh, you know, things they've got to iron out, uh, minimum salaries, you know, service time, arbitration, uh, you know, Major League Baseball wants a 14-team expanded playoff. Uh, you know, again, that it's going back to what they had a couple of years ago with that during the COVID shortened season. Um, so again, there's just there's a lot of items on the table that I don't feel like a day or two is going to end up, you know, making this thing happen. Which is why I think a lot of folks are frustrated from a fan standpoint. 
wondering why these talks, why these meetings didn't happen in December and in January and in early February, why they had to wait until the very last minute. So, again, I know there's a lot of frustration for everybody involved. And, and you know, the, the one thing I don't think it's brought up enough is you know, a lot of times we talk about the players and the owners, but I don't think a lot of folks talk enough about, you know, the other side of this where, you know, you're looking at, at folks that are also going to be out of, of, you know, work, whether it's stadium workers, concession workers, parking lot attendants, folks like us in the media that won't, won't have a job to go to. So it, it affects everybody, inclu- and most importantly, it affects the fan base. So, uh, you know, again, I'm, I've tried to be optimistic this whole process that something will get done. I, I felt like they were just too smart to let it bleed into the regular season. But, again, unfortunately, with the way things have moved very, very slowly these you know, last couple of weeks, you know, again, I, I, I just hope that the, the, uh, if there is a, a, you know, a, a deterrent to the regular season, it's as short as possible because, uh, I, believe me, everybody wants to see these guys back on the field as soon as possible. Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network, joining us. Kevin, just from your standpoint, I know you love the game of baseball. How much of what's being discussed, talked about, uh, uh, argued about, I guess, in some cases, do you think at the end of the day is actually good for the game if it gets worked out? I know Universal DH people can go back and forth, but uh, it seems to me that the core of baseball's problems is you have one guy that just got a $50 million deal right before the lockout started, uh, baseball owners saying they don't make enough money, but they're handing out $30, $40, 50000000 million deals, and you have teams that don't even spend that much on their entire roster. I mean, it seems like those might be some of the bigger issues. How much of that is actually what we're arguing about here? Well, and I think the one that makes the most sense to me from a player's side of things is raising the minimum salary. And I know there's some folks out there listening going, wait a minute, do they really need more money? Well, think about it like for – uh, the case of a guy who's making the league minimum. And you might say, okay, he's making $585,000. Now, for all of us, uh, that seems like a whole lot of money. But, again, in the grand scheme of things, it takes you a long time to get to the big leagues. You've got to you know, ride the bus for many years. You've got to uh, you know, you know, go in the minors and, and you know, just try to find a way to make ends meet, uh, you know, trying to find a way to put food on the table, and then you get to the big leagues. And, again, it's it, it's big money when you think about it, but when you break it down, you know, you pay your agent, you pay your dues uh, for the for the league. You know, you have to pay the players' association, you pay the the guys in the clubhouse, the the, the, ho- the hotel attendants, and you know that five eighty five goes pretty quick. So you know, again, I, I don't think the players are out of line asking for a little bit more when it comes to the to the minimum salary. Uh, you know, again, it's it's hard to get to the major leagues. It's really really hard to get to the big leagues, and it's even harder to stay there. So. I think incentivizing guys that do make it and, and you know, putting that work to get there uh, makes the most sense. But, look, the, the one argument that I just couldn't have not been able to fathom throughout this whole thing is a couple of weeks ago when it was brought up, well, owning a major league team isn't all that profitable. Well, if it wasn't all that profitable, then why are 30 people out there doing it? Believe me, it's extremely profitable. It makes a lot of money, even in smaller markets where, uh, you know, you're not, uh, you know, on national TV every single night. Uh, if it wasn't profitable, people wouldn't do it. So, uh, again, I think that the players certainly are justified in some of their uh, asks and some of their wants and desires. Uh, and, again, it, to, to me, it seems like, you know, baseball, the owners, uh, the commissioner are the, are the ones really holding this thing up. Uh, and, again, look, you can't, bl- you can't place blame at this point on one side. There's blame to go around all around on this thing. Uh, but, uh, again, ultimately, uh, I do think the players, in some of their requests, some of the things they're looking for, they, they're not out of line. Uh, for asking for some of these things. What are you hearing from fans, Kevin? Uh, do you think that if this goes on a couple of more weeks, people are going to 
from afar kind of understand it and say, hey, it's a negotiation, it's uh, it's back and forth? Or do you think at the end of the day, uh, baseball is really going to hurt itself in terms of fans getting upset, getting frustrated with the negotiations and with the way this has gone? Yeah, there, there's words when uh, we're on terrestrial radio that we can't say that I've read on Twitter uh, in some of my mentions as far as where things are going here uh, with these uh, back and forth uh, debates. Um, you know, fans are not happy. Fans are frustrated. And again, ultimately, the fans are the ones that are hurt the most by all of this when all is said and done. So um, I, I, what scares me, and again, I love this game. Yeah, I have an almost seven-year-old son. He loves the game of baseball. And I love that there's another generation of guys that are growing up watching these players and, and you know, loving the game of baseball. It's been around 151 years. Um, and, and, you know, I want to see it uh, stick around for another 151 years. But um, I'm concerned about some of the markets, like a Miami that doesn't draw anybody anyway, um, like a Tampa. Uh, they're a good ball club year in and year out. They can't put butts in the seats. Um, Oakland, they're beginning a big-time sell-off uh, of a lot of their star players in a rebuilding situation. Um, you know, again, will fans come back in that market for a while? Think about when you go back to 94 and 95, guys, it took up until the late 90s when a couple of guys that were on, you know, juicing uh, were hitting home runs every single night. It, it took a lot of markets, four, five, six years to come back. And again, at this point, with so many other options, so many other entertainment options, I just worry about some of those smaller market teams, you know, getting the fan bases to come back and support them. So, um, again, that, that's what worries me as far as, you know, we're always talking about growing the game, finding ways to get kids, uh, you know, to, to, to watch and play the game with so many other options. Uh, that's what kind of worries me is that what's the, what's the backlash going to be from the fans in some of these markets that are just going to say, you know what, we're not coming back. We, we said that years ago. We gave you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we might not come back. So that, that's sort of where I am right now, I'm just sort of wondering what, this is, what, what kind of uh, trickle-down effect this could have for the next 5, 10, 15 years when all said and done. Yeah, and, and Kevin, I'm right there with you as I have two sons that play baseball, love baseball. And you look at it and say the, the, the love is there, but I think fans get frustrated at, at franchises who openly say losing is an acceptable strategy because we're just gonna we're gonna make a once a decade run with guys making the major league minimum that are really talented, and if we don't do it before they get paid, we're just gonna trade them off and the whole process starts over. I mean, how I, I don't see how both sides can't come to some agreement that that is not good for the game where you have teams that financially aren't trying to go out there and compete as some sort of strategy. I mean, in every other league, some kind of minimum spin is put in place, and you see a rotation of teams into the playoffs and, and, and teams who have a chance. Yeah, I think that the salary minimum, the, the floor, if you will, uh, I think that would be good. I really do. I think having a minimum threshold that teams have to spend X amount of dollars on payroll, uh, I think that would be important. Uh, you know, again, just be competitive, you know, put a team out there, you know, and, and have fan. And again, I know that, you know, some of the players want to reach free agency earlier. Um, but again, that goes back to the whole conversation of having guys that, uh, you, you know, you can, you know, follow and watch them, their, their careers evolve. You're right. There's teams that guys are around for three, four five years and then they're gone and then they tear it down. And then, you know, it's, who are these guys now? And again, I, I know it's worked for some clubs. I mean, you look at the Cubs, look at the Astros, even more recently with the Braves. Their, their tear down, their rebuilds have worked, but they weren't extended, right? I mean, the Braves had a couple of rough years, but, you know, again, they, there, was a, there was a roadmap of, of five years from now, here's where we're going to be, and they got there. So, um, again, I think that something has to be done about having that minimum salary just to make sure there is a competitive, uh, a competitive product that's on the field that people will 
to say, you know what, I can justify spending $200 to take my, you know, my two kids and my wife to the game tonight uh, because I am going to see something that's going to be entertaining. I'm going to see players who I know who they are. and you know, I don't have to uh, do research to figure out who my starting nine is on any given night. How has this and the inability of teams to talk to players, et cetera, basically there being no baseball, how has this made the, I guess, the Freddie Freeman and the free agency uh, uncertainty even more dramatic in that nobody, in terms of the rules allowed, has been able to talk to anybody? And I guess when and if baseball does reach an agreement, we're going to have, what, a, just a crazy couple of days of players being signed. Yeah, you're going to have the NBA free agency period, basically, where, you know, 12.01 a.m., uh, guys are just signing left and right, and it's just pure chaos. You're going to have uh, probably a similar situation to what you had right before the lockout began, uh, where you know guys are, are just signing all over the place. I guess the, the, the benefit for the Braves is that everyone's on equal, uh, equal uh, footing, if you will, where you know, no one's been able to talk. So it's not like the Dodgers have a leg up on signing Freddie Freeman over the Braves because they haven't been able to have those conversations. So, um, look, I, I know Freddie has made it clear he wants to be here. Uh, he told me as early as 2017 that he wanted to be a Brave for his entire career. I'll never forget that conversation in Orlando uh, in, the old, um, in the old spring training site, just me and him sitting in the locker room and him telling me that for the very first time. So, uh, again, I, I, I think everyone's on an even playing field when it comes to signing free agency, and, and it's going to create a lot of excitement when, when those moves do happen. Uh, but, again, I, I don't think that changes one way or the other if he's back here in Atlanta or if he's elsewhere. Uh, because as long as everyone's following the rules, like you said, playing uh, playing by the rules and playing fairly, then uh, no one really has a leg up. If anything, I think the Braves would have the leg up, just given the fact that there's that familiarity with the city, with uh, you know his teammates, with the organization. Uh, maybe that does give them you know a, a little bit of an advantage. But uh, again, he's a free agent and he's able to sign wherever he wants uh, when that uh, when that period does begin. Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network, joining us finally. Kevin, just for obviously listeners in our area and across Braves country, how tough is it coming off of a World Series championship to have to sit and say, when is baseball coming back, yeah. when it's supposed to be this uh, you know, epic lead-up to opening day and uh, the home opener where you know, everybody can once again you know, reconvene and uh, you know, put that banner up in the outfield? Yeah, it's, it's a downer. It's a, it's a bummer for sure. I mean, you know, you're looking forward to – seeing the guys get their rings and being out there with a sold-out crowd and, you know, the video, the hype-up video of all the highlights from the run last year. And, you know, everything is sort of like, well, we don't, don't really know when that's going to happen. But when it does happen, it will happen. There will be baseball at some point, I can tell you that. Uh, when it does happen, it's going to be a great moment. And, uh, again, the fan support last year, guys, was, was terrific. 2.7 million fans uh, came to Truist Park just during the regular season alone. And then, of course, that was the place to be during the postseason run. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It'll be a great ceremony. I just wish it would happen sooner rather than later. And, again, I, I, you know, uh, hopefully cooler heads do prevail and uh, they get back to the bargaining table and find a way to iron this thing out because you're right. It's the defending champs that uh, everyone's excited to see them back and uh, know that Acuna is coming and hopefully Soroka will be there. And, uh, you know, you've got the, uh, the offseason moves they've made, which I think have been good. Uh, I think there's probably one or two more they might add. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a bummer, and, uh, again, I'm, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that, uh, that we see these guys back on the field real soon because, uh, again, I, I, I'm getting to the point, guys, where, you know, my wife likes having me around in the offseason, but she, even she's saying, like, you know what, I think it's time you get back to work. I, I, you know, I can cook my own dinner, and I can take care of the kids. You need to get your butt back to work. So I'm as ready as the players are, believe me, guys. And we hope we get there, as you said, very, very soon. Kevin McAlpin, Braves Radio Network, our guest. Kevin, thanks so much.
You got it, boys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Kevin McAlpin joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back. We'll respond to some of that on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 3 and Out here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. We appreciate Kevin McAlpin, Damian Moss joining us here on the show as Major League Baseball and the players meeting again this afternoon. Uh, again, trying to hammer out a deal. Haven't got a lot of everybody's mad, everybody's this. So who knows what's going on in some of these meetings. A lot of the walking back and forth is... BJ, they'll get together to meet and then go like, you know, school children and go meet in their caucuses and come back and uh, d- discuss some more. So you hope it gets 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 done and gets ironed out. As we've heard multiple people say on the show, everybody loses, right? I know the owner's like, hey, we were willing to miss a month. Everybody loses in that situation. I think, I think the fans are kind of left feeling helpless, right? Where you read the reports and – Maybe every now and then there's a, they're closer than you think, and then, no, they're not close, they're not close, they're not close. And as a fan, you're just sitting around asking, well, what's happening? You know, at first I was told we're going to miss some spring training, but, again, it would be, quote, disastrous if we were to miss any regular season baseball. Now, within the next couple of hours, it looks like that's going to be a reality. And then, as you so aptly said earlier in the show, well, our perspective's changing tomorrow. Is everybody agreeing on Wednesday? What about Thursday? What about Friday? So as a fan, I know some people might say, well, BJ, why are you asking all the guests what the worst-case scenario is? Because it's hard to envision a best-case scenario, right? You've had a lockout since December. So you would think if progress was going to be made, it would have been made. And if you were serious, Rob Manfred, about it's going to be disastrous if we miss baseball, would it have gotten to this point? Within the next couple of hours, we're going to know for for certain that opening day is not going to happen. And after yeah. that, and after that, what's next? So I hate to keep bringing this point up, but I, Kevin, unless I'm wrong and I'm and I, and I have a kind of a, a, a off feel for this, I don't think we're talking about four or five games yeah. because because is this going to change in a couple of days? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen Wednesday? And that is a very troubling comment. I don't know if if it was from kind of the owners at large or one owner or whatever, but the comment or the or the inference that uh, they might be okay missing a month of a month of baseball, you might be okay miss. So what what what's after that? Two months of baseball? I mean, I just I don't see a lot of positivity here. I don't see a lot of reason for optimism. I hope I'm wrong. Certainly, I hope we you know log off the show and we see that they've come to an agreement or at least we're a lot closer than we were this morning. But when I hear things like the owners might be cool if it has to go a month, I don't know I don't know what kind of counter there is to that to say, no, they're not, and here's why. You know, I I, I don't know. And, you know, Kevin made a great point. A, a, a lot of people are left in difficult spots when there's no baseball. Uh, a lot of people are, are, are left without a revenue stream, without opportunities, without jobs, without – chances to do what they would regularly do it's a it's a bad thing yeah and, and again i think for the the good of the game you need to play because baseball has stars right i mean a lot of times people look at this thing bj and they say oh it's this and that and yeah has baseball turned into a strikeout home run game yes is that the best thing for the game probably not but baseball does have stars uh that that uh that are out there that people want to see does baseball do the best job of marketing their stars no they don't there's a, there's a lot of uh things that I don't particularly care for 
When it comes to baseball, I think their commissioner is uh, is a clown show and shouldn't be in charge of a sport in which he refers to the championship as a hunk of metal. That probably is grounds for you to get fired and you shouldn't or does be, it show up. Yeah, until d- the yeah, end like, the- hey, we're having a a labor negotiation that, and I know people can do this remotely, but still, the visuals of you're having a labor negotiation between the owners and the players. You are the commissioner of the sport, and you don't show until after a week. Come on, like uh, that, that. Rob Manfred is bad. I think it's fair to say he is not good at his job. I mean, that 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 is, you are to be the ambassador. I know you work for the owners, but you are to be the ambassador of the game of baseball, and at that, he stinks. He's he's awful. So, no love lost for, for Rob Manfred there. But again, everybody loses in this thing. Everybody loses in this thing if there's if there's no baseball. You missed opportunities to, uh, to grow the game in, in certain aspects. You missed opportunities to see guys in the prime of their career, depending on how long this thing uh, goes on. And uh, again, as I've said, you can look at other leagues and countless examples in professional sports where some of the things the players are asking for, everybody still makes boatloads of money. Have you heard any NBA owners saying they're losing money? And didn't they give players more of a percentage of their CBA last time out, BJ? Now, listen, I have you heard that, no, I'm saying, no, I mean, honestly, of have course you, not. But have, they, have they been getting less? No, no. I, I mean, so, I, I, look, I don't want to oversimplify, and I know you've said this before, but this this really feels like this is the owner's mess. I mean, this really feels like this is the owner's being unfair. Uh, Damian Moss said greedy, and yes, I think that's fair. I think that's what it comes across as. You're talking about some modest concessions. The game has grown in popularity, grown in financial opportunities, financial revenue streams. But if they're willing to hold out a month, I just I just don't know how it's getting better. Yeah, and apparently the players and owners uh, just got done after a 50-minute session. They've had some off and ons. Now, if they're going to meet again today, I would imagine they would. So apparently there's been like three or four back and forths uh, between the players and the owners uh, where they've had different meetings and sessions. Who knows if we're getting close. But again, I think a lot of folks think the sport will take a big hit if you miss a considerable amount of time which hangs in the balance if a deal is not done today. We've got more to come. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.